Yeah, look, I, I often say that you know, Sai has a 20-year vision, and the vision we had five years ago is the vision we have today. For me, that promised land is, is uh, a world where instead of the status quo, which we have today in this industry, where you've got five, six national conglomerates under which two million real estate professionals are, are subservient, what we want to see is a world where you've got thousands of locally owned, locally operated boutique agencies, real estate agencies that are actually owned by the people who run them and who care about them and who create the value in the first place. We want to shift that the value back to them where it belongs in, in this uh, amazing diversity of presentation, of values, of culture. And it just, I think, creates a much more interesting and distinct industry in a more interesting and distinct world. How we doing out there, folks? This is your host with the most, Kenny Vaughn, and I am so excited because the dynamic trio is reassembled once again. What is up, everybody? It is Sophia, and I play for Team Breakline. Hey, everybody. This is Bethany Coates, and I play for Team Breakline, and I am fired up to be here with you, Soap and Kenny. Ooh. Well, Bethany, we got another great conversation on deck, and I want to just dive right into this one because Guy Gal is one of the most interesting folks that I think we've had in the arena. Absolutely love this conversation that we got a chance to have with him. He is the CEO of Side, an amazing company. Would you mind just getting our listeners spun up a little bit more on Guy Gal and some things that you might take away from this conversation? You bet, Kenny. I'd be delighted. And the first thing that Guy Gal wants you to know is that, yes, that is his real name. <laughs> he was so just fun and funny and informal and transparent and grounded. So it was really a joy to interview him. Here's somebody who's a serial entrepreneur, really similar to Neha Sampat, the CEO of Content Stack, where he had been building companies from a young age, founder and CEO of Kingmaker, which was acquired by Joyous, where he was VP of Business Development. He was an EIR at Matrix. And then about five years ago started side which transforms the best real estate agents into businesses that he says dominate their market and one of the things that he said that really resonated with me there's so much risk involved when you're starting your own business as we all know we've all seen the numbers it's like 90 percent of startups fail and what guy said that he thinks about you know in in managing that risk reward balance, he says, start with the end in mind and commit to your vision if that end is worth it to you. Mm. I told y'all he was dropping some nuggets in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Sophia, how really about was. you? What were some of your takeaways? What were your takeaways here? Yeah, I mean, this plays into his background of, of being that serial entrepreneur and someone with that type of background, you know, they're going to be bold. They're going to be risk takers. They have courage in spades. And, but he speaks to the fact that it is anxiety producing. And he was saying the only way to work through that is through action. So take action, go after your goals. Even if you're nervous, even if you're not sure how it's going to play out, you never know unless you're going to take that jump. And personally that day I was scribbling notes. I was loving hearing from this conversation. If I could just add one last thing before we dive in this episode, this is one of the reasons I love having these tremendously successful entrepreneurs on the show is because they really break it down to some of the basics. And one of the things that Guy talked about was just the importance of being consistent and persistent. And he actually brought to light the Stonecutters motto, which I hadn't heard of before, but I thought was tremendously insightful, which was if you just continue to strike that stone, that 999th time, you don't know that maybe that thousandth hit is gonna be the one that gets you to the diamond. And to see him just kind of embody and embrace the consistency and the persistence throughout the course of his career, I think it is emblematic of the organization that he's been able to build and the success that they've been able to achieve because they are doing some phenomenal work. And so just a reminder for me that 
Sometimes the basics, just sticking landings on the basics are, is really the formula for long-term success. And so I think our listeners are gonna take away a ton from this conversation. I don't know about you ladies, but maybe we should just go ahead and dive in and give these listeners what they came here for. Kenny, I think you do know. I think you do know we're ready to head over there. <laughs> Let's do it. We will see you guys on the other side. See ya. Hello, everyone. This is Bethany Coates, CEO of Breakline, and I am so delighted to welcome Guy Gal, CEO of Side, to be with us for a conversation today. Guy, thank you so much for carving out time to be here. Thank you for having me, Bethany. I appreciate it. We're so delighted, and I'd love to kick things off and just hear a little bit about your background. I'd love to hear about your journey. You're a serial entrepreneur. Side is one of many companies that you have founded, and we'd just love to hear a little bit about the origin story. How'd you how'd you get here? Yeah, that's you know that can be a long story, so I'll try to keep it relatively short. But I'm someone who was a very accidental entrepreneur. I had an itch and decided to scratch it. And so when I started my first company, it was in college and it was not at all a deliberate effort to create a business. It was just what I mentioned. It was an instinct. I felt an itch and no one else was scratching and I decided to scratch it for myself. And next thing you know, that became a business that gave me the entrepreneurial bug. And, and what I mean by that is I, I developed an interest in solving complex problems for deserving people in service of important missions. And that set me off on a 15 year journey where I kept solving problems that were affecting me or those around me without being too deliberate about it. So it's like, oh, that's a problem. I will help with that. And that's a problem too. And I will help with that as well. And it wasn't until about six years ago, that maybe seven years ago now, where I, I had just uh, turned 30. I was maybe you know coming going on 31. And I was determined to be more deliberate about what problem to solve and wanted to find something that I could spend a lifetime working on that proverbial life's work. And I naively thought it would take a few weeks to figure that out, but it actually took almost two years, the better part of two years to get to that place. And the end result of that was side. So that that's how side happened. Now, the way that that all came to fruition is about eight months into that exploration, into that ideation process, into that journey of both personal discovery and professional discovery, I went through a real estate transaction and it was a really great experience. Unlike my previous experience going through a real estate transaction, which was not very good at all, quite the opposite. And that contrast was really piqued my interest, especially because I was already eight months into trying to figure out life's work. And so I asked myself, why is it that there's this inconsistency? And it turned out that, that, ex that the experience you get when you are going through a real estate transaction, whether you're buying, selling, renting, or all of the above, is highly dependent on who it is you work with at the individual agent level. And if you get to work with an agent who's really good and really experienced, you're going to have a result and an experience that is consistent with that. And if you work with somebody who is more casual, more part-time, that is the type of experience and outcome you will ultimately have. And it so turned out that when I peeled that back, that over 70% of the transactions that happen in the real estate industry today are facilitated by part-time agents. And that's by design. That's what the legacy brokerages, the legacy real estate companies want to have happen because they make a lot more money on part-time agents than they make on full-time committed professionals. And for that reason, full-time committed professionals were always on their own to figure things out without ever getting any support. And that to me was an opportunity 
to step in and say, hey, you're not just real estate agents, you're entrepreneurs. You wake up every single morning, you connect invisible dots, you care deeply uh, about the consumer you're serving, your client, and you're doing it without getting any help and without any instructions. And I believe that I can build a company, an organization, a community, and an actual platform to enable what you're doing and give you what it is that you have been missing for so very long. And hopefully by combining those two forces together, that agent, that professional's amazing expertise and personality and spirit with an organization committed to advancing their interest, we can create something that more consistently serves the interest of the public good and of consumers and shift that number from 70% of transactions part-time being facilitated by part-timers to 70% of transactions being facilitated by people who really know what they're doing because that's ultimately what the buyer, the seller, the renter deserves. And it's actually what the full-time real estate professional deserves as well. So that's how side came to be. And there's so much nuance that goes that, that went into that. But today side's nearly five years old and it's top five real estate network nationally by transaction volume. And it's still really early for us. We have yet to make as big a dent, but we're working on it. I love this story, Guy, and when we were talking about it in advance of this conversation, you said something which I found hilarious. You said, like, I had no particular interest in real estate. Before side and before those that eight-month period of sort of looking into it deeply, it wasn't like you were thinking about real estate every single day. No. But the way that you're the the way that you describe side in shorthand is side transforms the best real estate agents into business that dominate their market. And when I was asking you about that, it was clear that you had a lot of empathy for these entrepreneurs. You actually said something like entrepreneur to entrepreneur, these were people who were being underserved by the core solution that was available to them. Was it the empathy that, that got you to a place where you decided this was where you really wanted to invest your time and energy? Yeah, you know, empathy is a really important foundational ingredient in any sustained effort. Because if you don't understand or care about the needs and interests of the people that you're going to be working with or for or to or, or, to, or, or together in partnership, then invariably that effort will not sustain. And so, yes, part of my process for discovering life's work and deciding what to dedicate myself to was checking that empathy box. And the way I thought about it is as founder product fit, you know, in tech in particular, there's this focus on product market fit, product market fit, product market fit. Mm -hmm. It's like the end all be all of an early stage initiative, an early stage venture. But I think there's actually a stage that precedes that and that is founder product fit. So are you as an individual uniquely connecting to what it is that you're going to be working on in a way that does lend to your enthusiasm in a way where you can genuinely care uh, and are compelled to you can't just can't help yourself but care so yes in this particular industry the more of these professional full-time agents that i met the more it became obvious to me that they were entrepreneurs who happened to choose real estate as a profession and maybe they weren't starting technology mm -hmm. companies you know today entrepreneurship is so synonymous with let's go do a startup that's not really what it's about, right? Entrepreneurship is about connecting invisible dots, working with a limited amount of resources to accomplish an outcome that is greater than the resources, than those resources. And you can do that with, in, in, in every aspect of life. And I recognized that these agents were doing that within this industry, but that, that was not being welcomed. And that's what really lit me up. Yeah. I think we as a society 
tend to discourage entrepreneurship. The traditional education system has effectively been set up to create really good cogs in the wheel. And of course, it needed to be done that way to serve a particular purpose. But I really do believe in breaking the mold. And when people break molds, they're, they tend to be ostracized or banished or ridiculed or disregarded until you no longer can. I, that's, that's where I like to live is in those places where I'm able to provide people like that with the support that they need to keep doing that thing that is different. Oh my gosh, guy, gal, you are speaking my language here. And I want to, I want to ask you, it's hard though, to be in that place where you are the change agent, where you're doing the thing that at least for some period of time is unconventional. It's unfamiliar people who you are close to and respect and admire and look up to might really question your choices. And how did you find the strength and courage and confidence and resilience to live in this space? You know, you describe this as home base for you. What, what makes it possible for you to feel comfortable and to thrive here? It's kind of two things. One, you need to start with the end in mind and you have to decide for yourself if it's worth it. So it's like if, the place that I want to go, the place that I want to go or the place that I believe where I believe things should be or how things should be, is that a really worthwhile place to, to get to? And if the answer to that question is yes, it doesn't matter how hard or easy um, it may be because you will have that sustained resolve. And so conceptually, if you hit a wall, that conceptual wall, Instead, uh, if you have that end in mind and, and, and you truly do believe that it's how things should be and that it's a worthwhile thing to have accomplished, then that wall is just one more obstacle that you try to then figure out how to get around or over or dig under and then sort of last resort, walk right through, right? Uh, it gives you that resilience and that will to power. And it's amazing what you can accomplish if you just put your mind to it and are consistent and persistent in your effort. Uh, it's that, you know, stonecutter's motto where you're going to strike that rock a thousand times and nothing will budge until the last uh, time you touch it and it cracks completely in half, right? So it does mean that for prolonged periods of time, you need to be comfortable being alone in an effort or, you know, whether it's just to yourself or a small team, a small group, small company. And it does mean you've got to roll with the punches and that's not easy, but it can't be and it shouldn't be. It's it, the question is, is it worthwhile? And in my case, yes, the answer is yes. The other thing that really helps with that is just normalizing the abnormal, right? It's recognizing that, hey, mm. this is gonna, this will be complex, this will be hard, it will not be straightforward, there will be challenges, we'll do more wrong than right, uh, there'll be more ambiguity than clarity, and I have to be comfortable with that. Even though I will not be comfortable with it, I will remind myself that I will become comfortable with it as I continue to do it, right, and work on it. And so things that years ago would take so much more from me emotionally, if you will, psychologically, today have become yeah. effortless. And it's not because they become easier. Mm. It's just that I've become more familiar with them. I used to mm -hmm. never, ever want to do this kind of thing, like the podcasting or the interview thing, I wasn't familiar with it. It was really hard for me. And so when I would uh, sign up to do something like this, I would take a whole bunch of time to prepare and a whole bunch of space in my mind to come to terms with it all. And nowadays, you know, years and years later, 
I could just you know, turn on my camera or phone or whatever the case may be and just get right into it because I've done it enough now that even though it's hard, it's, it's become comfortable. I love it. And I, I love just the whole message around non-conformity. It's something I've been thinking a lot about, like how much energy, and you said, you said, you you had a comment on it related to education that we educate people to be cogs in a wheel and instead you kind of struck out on this entrepreneurial pathway which i obviously have so much respect for and even in in the optics here i know this is a podcast so people can't see you but guy you look kind of fierce you've got like this bald head but like a full beard and you have a parrot on your (laughs) on your arm who's been making cameos in this podcast. And I just love the, you know, the combination. There is no corner to put you in. There is no category for you. The whole idea that you can be a category creator in your own right, I think is so inspiring and cool. You know, it's, it's the, it's like, so like the, the pirate mantra, which is you can, you don't have to be the same to be together right you yes you can be different but together and the last you know 100 plus years in our world has been about becoming more and more the same in order to then be able to be more and more together and i think the last 10 to 20 years that's really shifted especially with the of course rise of the internet and our individual abilities to be individuals to influence in that way and connect in that way and so maybe you're not finding other individuals like you where in your like geographic area in your school in your you know church temple whatever but you can find them on the internet and that way can validate that you're not alone and you're not crazy and you can be and you can still be together even though you're different i just think that's wonderful uh and magical and the more you can encourage that differentiation that distinctness the the the, the better yes i love that too and i see that in your strategy with side I mean, you talked about these individual agents who were really in the minority in their experience as full-time entrepreneurs, as real estate agents. That's really a minority experience in that sector. And they had a sense of isolation, you know, in in being underserved by the sort of existing solutions. I would love for you to help our audience understand the dynamics of the conventional real estate sector that, that you started to understand as as you began to as you began the company and and why it's it's broken why are the incentives so misaligned and why was there such a great opportunity for side to come in and be a really great partner to these full-time entrepreneurs historically the way real estate was organized was into these local hyper local companies brokerages that served a small set of communities in a really focused and specialized way. And then private equity happens, capital, you know, lots of capital that gets created and is out there and it looks for places to go, right? And uh, consolidation began within the real estate industry where these corporations, these conglomerates came in and started buying up all of these small locally focused boutiques that had real skin in the game, really cared about their communities and who reinvested into those communities because they lived in those communities and the incentives were aligned, right? Serving your community meant serving yourself, meant serving your your business, serving your clients. But when some company out of like New Jersey comes into California and buys up all of those mom and pops uh, and consolidates the cot like the cottage industry under a small number of brands you're now extracting all that value and sending it outside the community it's no longer coming back into the community so that's a big part of the misalignment it's a misalignment between the conglomerate and the community because the conglomerate doesn't care about the local community they just want to extract value from it 
there's also a misalignment in how you then serve into that community. So it turns out again that you know, if you look at California, for example, the, the average agent in California 20 years ago was facilitating 11 transactions a year. That's a, that's a full-time job. That's, you know, one a month. Nowadays, it's three and a half transactions per agent in California. That's by design. That's because the brokerages that agents have to legally affiliate with. So the brokerages went out and litigated themselves into existence from a regular, in, in a, in, by lobbying for particular regulations and mm. rules, as most legacy industries tend to do, industry companies tend to do. Where if you're an agent, the only way for you to be in business is to affiliate with this brokerage who's going to act as a fiduciary to the state and make sure that you're checking all the right boxes, whatever. And that's important. You need to have that, of course. Um, but pre-internet, the way that buyers and sellers would find uh, real estate to buy or an agent to help them sell was by walking into a traditional real estate office that was owned by the conglomerate, the brokerage, not by the actual agents who were providing the uh, service and the value themselves. And the brokerages, because of that relationship, because they literally brokered, they literally were the middlemen where you had to walk into their office to find an agent, they would take 50 to 65% of that agent's income on every one of these transactions. And as the internet became more and more prevalent and consumers, buyers, sellers, renters were able to find agents directly online as opposed to that be happening at the office, those agents that were sophisticated enough to get themselves in front of these people directly because maybe they were early on Yelp or early to Google display ads or something like that they started to become top producing, high volume, uh, and doing business with a greater deal of frequency. And that is where the, bro the, the mold of the brokerage, the traditional brokerage broke because it was, it was always designed for agents doing small amounts of deals. And here you had a situation where lots of agents started doing a lot more of them. And the brokerage was never set up to service that. And so these agents had to form into their own teams and hire their own staff and effectively create their own companies within somebody else's company and run a company and carry the risk of it, of all of that, the cost and the time without actually owning it. Mm. And how tragic is that <laughs> to actually Ugh. do the creative work of building it and taking the great risk of operating it and not be in control of it all? whatsoever but where they were able to exert control was on fees and they were able to say look now that i'm facilitating 50 transactions a year as opposed to five i'm not going to pay you half of my income on each one of these deals i'm going to pay you 20 percent of my income on all of these deals and if that's not okay with you i will find another brokerage who i will treat as a vendor who will give me the what I need legally to be able to operate my company, my business within theirs. And that was the beginning of the end for the traditional brokerage industry. And, you know, we're 10 years into that now, there'll be another 10 before it fully unbundles and sort of decays. But you have a situation today where the brokerage would rather have a thousand agents that each do one deal a year then have a hundred agents that each do 10 deals a year, 10 deals a year, because even though it's the same amount of total transactions overall, they get way more money from when it's a thousand agents doing one deal each than if it's a hundred agents doing 10 deals each. And that is why mm -hmm. the interests are misaligned because the brokerage would rather an agent do less business than more, but consumers would rather work with an agent that does more business than less. Because that's where you're going to get somebody who's really experienced. So in that way, the traditional companies in the real estate industry, their interests are misaligned with the interests of the consumer, of the community, of the clients. 
because they want to work with the most experienced people and the brokerage wants to put out the least experience so they can make the most money. And of course, that means it's a it's misaligned with the agents who are really good as well because instead of them getting support and being able to do more of that amazing work they're already doing, the brokerages are looking for every opportunity to prevent them from doing that. And there's a lot of friction and frustration that comes from that misalignment, from yes. that dissonance. And that's the opportunity that we saw outside. We was like, hey, look, today, these amazing agents only facilitate 30% of the market. But what if somebody created a company and took on this obligation and started on this mission to advance the interests in an aligned way of these really experienced people who already create really wonderful experiences for clients that generate way more value than the amount of value that's captured by that professional, by that agent in the first place. How, what would happen if you were to institutionalize that and invest behind it and professionalize it and make it a really deliberate and persistent effort over a long period of time? Well, hopefully it would shift that 70% number from being part-time to that 70% number being facilitated by full-time. And that's a 20-year mm -hmm. mission. It's not something that can ever happen overnight. Right? It took 200 years to get here. It took 20 years to undo it. And now, mm -hmm. sides five years into that, we've made a fair deal of progress in California. And now, over the next 15 years, we'll continue to make that progress nationally. Mm-hmm. I think this is so interesting because as you peeled back the layers, it just makes it clear that the the way that the conventional industry is set up is not in the best interest of the end consumer either. No. And I'm curious. So you you mentioned major brokerages. We're talking about um, we're talking about firms like Coldwell Banker and Century Twenty One and Remax, and and those are names that people recognize. And you mentioned Side making a ton of progress in California. I think I read that Side did twenty five percent of the transactions in San Francisco in April of twenty twenty one, but nobody saw your brand, your white label. And so, That's will correct. Side ever become a household name? Yeah. To agents, any, like will. any any moves toward. To agents, okay, but not to the end consumers. And what's the what's no. the rationale behind that? Well, the rationale is that we live in a world where people prefer boutique. Most people yeah. go, you know, most people that go into the grocery store are looking for that, like like small batch wine or that local craft brewery beer. Uh, it's why InBev, like the folks that own Budweiser, like the big major beer brands are constantly acquiring these small boutiques because these small boutique brands prop up in like an area like Sacramento and create 805 beer. And then that takes significant market share away from the legacy players because that's what the community really wants. They want to invest back into their community. They want to connect in a more authentic way with what it is that they purchase with the objects in their lives and that is our natural inclination as human beings we're communal animals and we've departed for that from that and you know like corporate is the opposite of communal right uh, but that was not an organic thing that was a very inauthentic thing that was only made possible because of people's ability to raise capital and allocate capital uh, and so in that respect, it was never in the consumer preference to do a one-size-fits-all for anything, let alone for experiences that are high value in terms of like the cost and low frequency in terms of how often it is you do them. Look at it this way. If you look at, tra at the travel industry, we're what, 30 years into the internet, internet at this point, and you still cannot... You, 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 Nobody goes on Expedia to, to, to put together a two-week safari to Africa because you don't do it very often and it's really expensive. So yeah. that's still something that you do with an actual travel agent. So mm -hmm. 30 years of disruption later and technology penetration later, it still does not address the 
preferences of consumers in that kind of way. Okay, thank you for explaining that strategy. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why, you know, that's why Side is an invisible brokerage, a white label platform. It's because we rec- we actually recognize it's not even a belief anymore. For to us it's fact, right? It's gospel. Yeah. On this mission. Yeah, really really interesting. Yes. Yeah, b- boutiques are better. Yeah. It's just better. 805 beer is better than Coors Light. Like it's just a fact. Uh you know that wine from that Napa producer is going to be better than that factory wine farm that just turns out $2 bottles of wine, utility wines. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's where mm-hmm. consumer preference ultimately goes. That's not to say that there's no room in the market for utility, right? It still makes sense to yeah. go online and self-serve a ticket from San Francisco to Los Angeles as opposed to working through a human being. Um, but that is a subset of behavior. It's not all behavior. And guy, you know, we're sitting here having this, having this conversation, your parrots making, <laughs> making the cameos and you, you have this really great regular guy kind of vibe to you, but I want to point out to our listeners that side recently raised a hundred and fifty million dollars at a billion dollar valuation. I mean, we're in rare air here when we're when we're talking about the performance of your company. And I mean, when when you started it, like could, could you conceive of this moment? Yes and no. We did raise $150 million earlier this year at a billion dollar valuation from one of the world's very best funds in CO2. And then three months later, we actually raised another $100 million at a $2.5 billion valuation. From I was going to get there. That's a thing that happened. And yeah, you know, years, you know, five years ago, nearly five years ago when we started the company, we of course had to believe it was inevitable to have the conviction to take that first step and the second and the third and the fourth, right? And then to then take three steps back after all of that and still have the resolve to step forward again and not let that discourage. So of course you have to believe that, but you also never do, uh, which is to say that it's this ephemeral thing that conceptually, intellectually, you can rationalize, but it's, it's really hard to feel it, feel the reality of it or feel the possibility of it because you just not, nobody's really wired that way. So yes, there was definitely a belief that, hey, this is how things should be. This is inevitable. And in accomplishing this, it'll create lots of value for lots of people. And when you create lots of value, you're able to capture some of it. And my philosophy is always that you want to, in everything you do in life, you want to capture less value than the amount you create. So you always want to create more value than how much it is you're taking. And so we, we felt that we create that much value that in capturing a smaller portion of it, it would make for a meaningful enterprise, a valuable enterprise. But there's no question that we, as much as you believe that that's going to happen, you also are not holding your breath. You're like, yeah, it probably won't because it's like that hard and that impossible. But you persist and you see what happens. Mm-hmm. And Guy, I, I know that there might be some people listening in who say, okay, now his company is worth two and a half billion dollars. This is something that just happens to other people. You know, this isn't, this isn't realistic for me to think about for my own life. But you've gone through some forging experiences to get there. It wasn't necessarily obvious for you either. And I'd love for you to to talk to us about one of those forging experiences, you know, something that was really tough that that you had to dig deep and push hard to to navigate through. Yeah, there are so many, right? There are so many of those. And it's because there are so many challenges. Nothing nothing ever goes exactly according to plan nothing's ever a straight line. It's all messy, right? It's all hard. I'll give you one particular example that I feel 
was incredibly formative for me. You know, many, many years ago, this over 10 years ago now, I had started a company. It was the second time I had started a company. And it, as usual, was not a very deliberate thing. It was more of a, hey, this is fun. Let's have some fun. And then other people were like, oh, you all are having fun. Can we pay you to also have this kind of fun? Like, yeah, sure. Why not? So great. And it was something that I did with a couple of old friends from school. And we approached it in that way. We approached it, the whole initiative, the whole effort as friends. And we put nothing in writing and nothing on paper. It was all, you know, in good faith and on goodwill. And we're friends. You know how it is. Uh, We'll always be aligned and figure things out together. And everyone had those intentions, great intentions. But, you know, two years later and you're now dealing in millions of dollars of revenue and you're under a lot of pressure and stress because you've got 30 employees and you've got to pay salaries every month and you're not venture backed and you're basically eating what it is that you can kill. And some people want to go left, some want to go right, some want to stay exactly where they are. It becomes very hard to create alignment and to stay aligned and to calibrate. And you're young, so you're not really good at communicating yet. You don't have that confidence. You're not talking to each other. You're talking about each other with each other, but never directly to one another. And so that happened, and it ultimately led to this partnership that started out great and amazing, falling apart and not working out, and a parting of ways. And my original instinct when that happened was to be more defensive, more petty, more conceptually violent, like not actually violent, but to like prove people wrong. And because my direction was the right, is, is the right direction and not the other direction. And for about four weeks time, I kept on inclining to this place of saying, I'm going to go out there and compete with my friends and beat them at the exact same game that we were just playing together because that's what felt to me like the appropriate way to react and go and and go forward Uh, but I managed to process through all of those feelings and emotions and thoughts and I came to a place where I recognized that my greatest opportunity was not to spend time and energy doing the exact same thing that didn't prove to be what I wanted to be doing. And so I took all of that energy, I took all of that uh, will and all of that resolve and I committed to putting it into going forward, into uh, making progress towards where it is that I wanted to be in a way that now was no longer uh, dependent on other people or required anyone else's permission uh, or alignment or agreement. And it taught me how to be more of a leader because when you're younger in your life, there's safety in numbers, certainly psychological, and it uh, can be scary to be the person that goes first. Uh, and so you try to maybe go forward altogether, and that means you can't really go very fast. And now uh, I was in a position where I learned that it's not actually about time management, it's all about energy management. And shifting that energy towards something more constructive and productive that moves you forward and away from where you were before serves your needs and your wants way better than allowing yourself to stay in the exact same place and deal with all of the friction and tension that that creates. So... Lots of lessons there, but, you know, principle amongst them was, hey, our natural inclination is not always going to serve us. We need to sort of be sober 
intellectually about what is and isn't productive to do. And uh, yes, that's going to create lots of anxiety, but the way to work through anxiety is through action, is by taking action and taking action towards that promised land that you already see on the horizon is better than trying to convince other people that it's there. Just go, just go, just go out and lead. And then the right people will follow. And that'll, and that's what allows for alignment to be had. Mm-hmm. I love that story. It reminds me of two quotes. One, I heard Mark Andreessen, one of the co-founders of Andreessen Horowitz say once that it was something like 90% of startups fail and 90% of the failures fail because of co-founder dynamics. And mm-hmm. it really is so, so complicated and so fraught and the stakes are so high. But the second piece of it reminded me of something that Mark Leslie once said. He was the founding CEO of a company called Veritas. But before leading Veritas, he had, I think, co-founded a company that failed. And he described it as <clears throat> the despair almost of losing a child, you know, really having trouble mm-hmm. getting out of bed for months and months after that failure. And so for you to tell that story and to talk about harnessing those emotions and what must have felt so raw and and turning them in a productive direction for you and for your career, I think is really, really powerful. Yeah, look, you're gonna, you, we, we are all full of energy and then it's just a question of what we do with it, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and if we turn that energy inwards, we're going to feel like we have none because it's going to feel so overwhelming because we're not actually utilizing it. We're not expressing it. We're not extracting it. We're, we're not applying it. We are suppressing it. And that's a very difficult psychological place to be. We, I still go there all the time now nowadays. But I'm more aware of it, so I don't stay there as long, and I'm mm-hmm. able to right. So, so you're able to better control it and manage it, where you can say, "All right, well, you know, that's a, that's enough of turning that energy inward into, you know, maybe reductive introspection or unproductive self-talk, and let's now instead take it and turn it uh, towards something." That will be productive, right? Because we all have that energy within us and it's all about what we do with it, right? Uh, and are we even mindful of it in the first place? And then once we are, what do we do with it? And that's always going to be struggle because it will want, it'll always, it will always want to go to the place. It's, it's like water. It wants to go down the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. And the path of least resistance is always in action. It's always inward, right? It's, it's, it's always resignation and it does take an effort to turn that outward and use it to create forward momentum. But the, that effort, even though hard again, is a, is worthwhile to make. And over time, as you get used to making that effort, it becomes much more effortless. Mm-hmm. I love that guy. We have time for one last question and I'd love to hear from you, your vision for side. What what should we be expecting to see this company accomplish in the next two to three years? What do you have? What are your plans? Yeah, yeah look, I, I often say that you know, Sign has a 20-year vision, and the vision we had five years ago is the vision we have today. We don't change vision every year. We don't change our product line every year. It's a marathon, and we are pacing through it, making you know, sustain progress towards that ideal, towards that promised land, towards that place where we want, really want to be. For me, that promised land is is uh, a world where instead of the status quo, which we have today in this industry, where you've got, you know, five, six national conglomerates under which two million real estate professionals are, sub, are, are subservient, what we want to see is a world where you've got thousands of locally owned, locally operated boutique agencies, real estate agencies that are actually owned by the people who run them and who care about them and who create the value in the first place. We want to shift that the value back to them where it belongs, 
that is what we are focused on doing. And the way that that will manifest and continue to manifest is the way you've seen it manifest in California. So, you know, if you are someone that lives in San Francisco today, you used to see maybe four or five different brands on real estate listing signs like Compass, Coldwell Banker, Sotheby's, whatever. Um, uh, now in San Francisco, nowadays, you will see signs for Mosaic and North Point and Polaris and Indigo and City Real Estate and Bay Real Estate and Canoco. And that's just the way that what our work manifests, right? In, in this uh, amazing diversity um, of presentation, of values, of culture, and it just, I think, uh, creates a much more interesting and distinct industry in a more interesting and distinct world. Guy Gal, CEO of Side, thank you so much. What a treat to spend the last hour with you. I loved your confidence, your comfort with authenticity, and your encouragement for change agents everywhere. Thank you for the vote of confidence oh. in entrepreneurs. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm just, I am a normal person the way anyone else is. Obviously, everyone has their privileges and their advantages. But as someone who grew up in a family, an immigrant family that was paycheck to paycheck and uh, who was always told everything he couldn't do as opposed to what was possible, I just think it's really important to help others understand that it's all within reach. It's all within reach. It may be a stretch, but it's all within reach and it's possible for them too. And it doesn't have to be starting from scratch. You know, our company at Sai today is full of entrepreneurs and they didn't start the company, but they start new initiatives within the company all the time. They inform new roles. They inform new ways of doing things all the time. That is what entrepreneurship is all about. It's having the awareness of how things are working today and also an understanding of how much better it can be if you apply yourself in a certain way. I love that. It's all within reach. What a beautiful mantra. Thank you so mm -hmm. much, Guy Gal, for sharing with us. It's really been a pleasure to have you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode in the Breakline Arena. We hope that you're walking away feeling a little inspired, a little bit moved, and feeling as if you learned something. I'll tell you what, if you enjoy what you heard today, we only need you to do one of three things. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe, and if it really touched your spirit, go on review and rate this episode. It would mean a lot to us. It helps us get the word out there. It helps us continue to share this great content. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, we just love to hear what, you, what you'd have to say about some of the content that we're putting out there. So please join us again here in the Breakline Arena. Once again, my name is Kenny Vaughn, and I am signing out from the Breakline HQ with my partner in crime. Sophia Bodwin, we will see you next week. <laughs>